When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just $60, bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. This is Cork Today. Cork Today. With Patricia Messenger on C103. And a very good Wednesday morning to you as we welcome you along to the programme. We've got Bernie sitting in for John Paul taking your calls at 1850-333-103. Texts and WhatsApps up and running at 0862-103-103. And in case you stayed in bed overnight and missed it, you've probably woken to the news that Ireland have their first medal of the Tokyo Olympic Games after the quartet of Africa Kyo, uh, uh, Emer Lam, Fiona Murta and Emily Hegarty produced a stirring finish to take the bronze medal in the women's four final. Emily's mammy, Mary, uh, joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Mary. Good morning and thanks for having me. Well, congratulations uh, to you and Emily and all of the family. What were your emotions like, Mary, watching that race in the small um, hours of the morning? To be honest now, I got a bit worried at one stage. It was kind of relief mixed with delight, obviously, as the race progressed. Because the girls didn't make it easy on themselves. No, no, no. Um, I think conditions were very rough, apparently, and I think once things went a little bit astray, it was just hard to get it back. But they did, thank goodness, for the last pass. And would you have given anything to have been there, Mary? Oh, we'd not have gone. We would absolutely have been there had we been able to go. But even before they qualified, we knew that was an option. The Japanese already come out and said that, you know, support was allowed. Yeah. So we knew that was never going to be an option. So did you go to bed and get up or did you stay up? I went to bed around half five. Okay. <laughs> so um, I'm, I got up and I suppose around half eight. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. But did you go to bed last night before the, before the oh, race? Oh, not at all. Did you... <laughs> No, 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 no. <laughs> you know, sleep wouldn't, you know, sleep wouldn't come very easily now last night at all, really. So, not before the race, anyway. Have you spoken to Emily this morning? I haven't spoken to her this morning. I spoke to her last night. Okay, and uh, and how was she feeling? That was in great form. They yeah. are delighted and, yeah, they're, they're, they're thrilled with themselves, really. It was, yeah, I think, I suppose, they were probably relieved too, because, you know, when things went a bit... Not as according to plan early on, but great it all came together. And yeah, and Emily's the baby of the group, isn't she? She is. Yeah, she is. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. and the whole of Skibbereen and indeed Cork and indeed Ireland are behind them. Is Emily aware of what's happening at home? I think she is. I think her friends have been keeping her well informed, and you know, I think last night they think, "Oh my gosh, I'm 
fact, one of her friends was telling me that, um, yeah, she realised but she's missing all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I imagine your phone probably nearly exploded. Did it after the race? Yeah, listen, stay there because I have the other mammy okay. on the line because another very proud mother this morning is Paul and Gary O'Donovan's mother, uh, Trish, who I'm told by Bernie is a little bit hoarse. So I imagine there was a lot of screaming going on in Skibbereen. Good morning to you, Trish. Good morning to you, Patricia. Thank you very much. Hi, Mary. How are you? How's your Hi, morning? How are you? <laughs> now, uh, now, now, Mary stayed up. Did you go to bed and then I get... I did, of course. <laughs> sure, I couldn't stay up. I wouldn't. I'd be gone. No, my brother and his wife um, are here and uh, Pauline came in and shook us out of our sleep um, in time to uh, see the races, yeah. So you went to bed. At, you're, you're a nine o'clock woman, yeah, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And did you go to sleep? Of course. <laughs> You'd want to be giving Mary a few lessons on how to do that. She's got a Sorry, it's because more season at this than me. That's <laughs> probably it. That's probably it. Thanks, Mary. Now, 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 my head sees the pillow, Patricia. That's it. I'm gone. Well, you're very lucky. A lot of people would love to be able to do that. What a blistering race by Paul oh, and Finton. Oh, my goodness. It was superb. And, and a new world record. A new world record, yeah. I actually thought they were going to go for it um, and in the heats. They were, they were close enough at the heats, but... I said to my, you know, and there was a tailwind then, of course, as well. So, yeah, then at three seconds, six, 6.05.36 was the record in 2014, and it's been standing since. And last night it was 6.05.33. Goodness me, it, it, it was really incredible. What, what did it feel like watching it at home, Trish? Very mixed. Um, obviously, it would have been superb to have been there to cheer them on, to at the end of the line, at the finish line, and to to, to celebrate afterwards with anyone that would have been there. But we're like Mary; we're on the same boat. We just had to stay at home, so it was very different. And thank goodness, my brother was here and his wife, and they were able to sort of keep a calmness on it. Having said that, we did erupt into huge screaming and shouting and what have you. <laughs> and when you were, and and we, when we spoke last week, we spoke about you know your your memories of Rio, and and you've been through this in in Rio. And when you were in Rio, screaming from the sidelines, were the boys actually able to hear you? I think they were. No, they'll tell you they wouldn't, but I uh, they probably wouldn't because they were on the farthest side away from the course anyway, from where we were. Yeah. But we we listen. Come here. When we scream, we you could nearly hear us at home. <laughs> we can do it big time, can't we, Mary? We can really. Okay. Yeah, and that's important to the to the girls and guys in in the boat as well. Now, have you spoken to Gary since the race? No, Paul. No. Even no. Sorry, Paul. No. <laughs> you no, 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 no. They're all right. I'll talk to them there now. Sometime whenever will be convenient because they're upside down times now. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. And the conditions are. It it was a bit choppy, wasn't it? Was it was a bit choppy. It yeah, was. Yeah. The poor old Norwegians capsized. They did. Helpful. Yeah, they did. They they, they they did. So it's never an easy ride until, like you say, oh, until they cross the line. It's never a given because, like the poor Norwegians, they capsized the boat. The poles um, caught a crab, so that threw them sideways a bit. But the Norwegians just capsized. So, like, it's very hard. When you're out there in the conditions and you say, how do you capsize a boat? Very easily, like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So until they're across that line, there's no, there's no guarantee until they're across the line. 
And a little bit of disappointment for Aoife Casey and Margaret Kremen. Um, I don't think they have anything to be disappointed about, to be honest with well you. Well said, well said. I don't. I mean, they should be so proud to have got to the A final. It was amazing. Like they, they, And the, the, comp- the, the, the weather is tough out there, but the competition is huge. But fair play, they got to the A final. And they're a very young crew. They're a very young crew. They are. Yeah, they they have a great career ahead of them as well. Um, but they now they have a place in the B final tomorrow, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They'll be placed now seventh and twelfth in the oh, world. Okay, yeah. so that that's that, that, that that's what that's for. Okay, then when is the final for for Paul and Finton? This morning again. Now we'll have to be up again. Oh, good God, gotcha. Mary, you can have a slide in your divin. <laughs> Oh no, I get up for Trish. <laughs> You'll be up as well, Mary, will you? Absolutely, absolutely. And Trish, did you go back to bed? Of course, <laughs> yeah. After when, once we calmed down a small bit, yeah, we did. We had a, um, my sister now, she's very good, thank God she was here. She made us a few chicken sandwiches and we had them and we had a cup of tea and then we went to bed. See, I just reckon that the adrenaline rush, Mary, you, I, you didn't go back to bed till half five. I'd say it's the, the, the adrenaline must be flowing through you. Yeah, I mean, I, I find it very hard to sleep now before the race, to be honest, because I'd, I'd be worse than whoever's in the near like <laughs> Yeah. And when when does the, the four girls now, they're finished, when do they fly home? Well, I think all the ruin crews, I think, are coming back together. I, I'm not sure, but I think they're leaving outside Saturday evening, so presumably Sunday night, Monday morning, we'll be back. Now, that's provisional, I think. But it'd be great if they all came back together. It would be nice. Yeah, would be nice. that would be great. That would be great. And hopefully they'll be coming back with some gold medals around Paul and Finton's neck. That'll be, that'll yeah, be the well, icing. They have to cross the line first, Patricia. That's it. That's, that's it. So all the prayers again for for tonight. Have you a time on it? Uh, 1.45, I Oh, that's think. not too bad. That's, that's not too bad. That's no, not too no, bad. No, that's no, too no. Bad. <laughs> No, I might, yeah, manage, yeah. I might manage that now and pull the stops out and stay up for that one. Okay, I, I, yeah. <laughs> do you know what you do now, Trish? A nice afternoon nap, <laughs> and then you'll be fine. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just been told, I've confirmed. Yeah, it's, it's one forty-five, and it says yeah. Thursday, but that's Thursday morning. It's yes, Wednesday right, yeah, into Thursday. Morning, yeah. Okay, well, regardless, we'll be talking with you tomorrow. I think, uh, Trish. Listen, congratulations to because it's important that the mammies get recognised in all Thank of this. Because you're the, very good. You well, the, do well, remember. well, the amount of work that the mammies put in as well. That, that cannot be oh, uh, forgotten. Um, Mary, enjoy the success of it. Trish, you have another, you so you have another day to wait, but, you've, uh, but you're, you're, you can be very proud. How is Gary, by the way, when, when I mentioned him? Uh, because he's over there as a reserve. How is he doing? He's en route home now, Patricia, so is, he is. Oh, no. He's, yeah, he should be into Dublin now this afternoon, um, late this afternoon, and then he has to bus it down, I think, um, to Cork. So, yeah, hopefully he'll make it down. So will he, he'll be with you tonight then for it? Fingers crossed. Oh, no, brilliant. Hopefully, brilliant, hopefully. brilliant. Safe travels to him. Okay. Yeah, safe well, travels. And that's what I said to him. I texted him and I said, once you get home safe, that's all that matters. You know? And was he aware of the result? I that's, don't know. No, see, no. I don't know because he's travelling now. Oh, he could be in the plane. He could be, you see, yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll be a well, nice surprise for him when he gets off. Obviously, is if he's into Dublin later on, he's obviously in the air now, like. Okay, well, lots of people wanted to send congratulations and just saying how fantastic it is in it to be in Skibbereen. It's yeah. just, oh, it's, isn't it, Mary? <laughs> isn't the town fantastic? They are brilliant. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. great. Everyone is, is behind them. Listen, go in, enjoy your day, uh, ladies, and thanks a million for taking time out to talk to us. Thanks, thanks Patricia. Patricia. Good morning to Thank you. Bye-bye. Uh, uh, Emily Hegarty's mammy, Mary, and Paul and Gary's mammy, Trish O'Donovan. Congratulations uh, all round. And Paul and Finton, tonight, one forty-five. They will have 
everyone in Skibbereen, everyone in Cork and everyone in Ireland behind them uh, tonight for sure. We wish them the best of luck. But well done. The, the girls with the first medal of the Olympics and they've made history because we've never, our females have never won a medal in the Olympics uh, before. So well done to all four. 1850 Bernie's taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. A couple of calls coming in about the walk-in vaccination uh, centres that are going to operate here in Cork across the bank holiday weekend. These clinics are offering walk-in first dose COVID-19 vaccinations for anyone aged 16 and over who have not already received a vaccine. Please note that second doses are not going to be available. It's only for people, but it's uh, it's for 16 years of age and over. Yesterday, we thought it was only going to be for 16 and 17 year olds, but it's not. It's for anyone 16 years of age and over who hasn't received a vaccine yet in Saturday. It's going to be the Clonakilty GAA Club in Ahamilla from 11am to 3pm. Sunday then it'll be in Bantry at the Primary Care Centre. That's the new Primary Care Centre. I know that caused confusion before for people going to the vaccination centre. That's Sunday from same time 11am to 3. Also on Sunday you can go into City Hall between 1 and 4 in the afternoon and then on Monday the MTU the formerly known as CIT in Bishopstown and they have a longer uh, walk-in vaccination uh, clinic they will be open from 10am in the morning until 4 in the afternoon in MTU in Bishopstown on the bank holiday Monday if you're going along you need to bring photographic ID and you need to bring your PPS uh, number you will not be allowed to receive a vaccine unless your photo ID and your PPS number the reason of course for the PPS number is to register you on the system and then you'll be called back for your second dose when it is due so that is the first time that the HSE has decided to extend the number of this is the first time they've done walk-in uh, centres and they're trying to get through to as many people as uh, possible so right across the city and county walk-in vaccinations this weekend as I say 16 years of age and only not for second doses it's only for people who haven't received a vaccine uh, yet 1850 Bernie taking your calls Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 103 Earlier this week, we received a message from one of our listeners who signed the message, wife of a very hardworking but frustrated driving instructor, who outlined how frustrated driving instructors and learner drivers are at the lack of progress in reopening up the service, especially for fully vaccinated people, to try to find out what is going on with driving tests. And once again, joined to discuss this topic by Cork East uh, Labour Doll Deputy Sean Sherlock. Good morning to you Sean. Good morning Patricia. Now Sean I think the last time we spoke the data showed there was over 100,000 were waiting on a driving test and a similar number for a theory test. How has that those figures improved? Well what we're seeing on the the driving test so the in-car test is that it's standing at about 96,300 approximately nationally and there's about 9,000 600 people in Cork waiting for the driving test. But the driver theory test, the numbers have increased uh, because we're, we're, we're up to 118,000 now, approximately. So we're not seeing any real improvements, even though they will say that the driver test, which is the in-car test, I'm, I keep making the distinction because it's yeah. important to do so, uh, that they're saying that that number is down by 4,000. But if you... 
look at the uh, process as a three-step process where it's driver theory test, instruction, and then the full driving test, in-car test. What we're seeing is that the numbers for the driver theory test have shot up to 118,000. So they still need to go through the funnel of instruction and then onto the driver testing system, which means that in real terms, it's a real-term increase uh, in the number of people waiting. So there's still a major issue here, and I corroborate what the, the wife of your driving instructor said there because uh, I can understand the frustration that they're feeling because what we're not seeing is the effects of the additional 80 driver testers uh, that the RSA and the department uh, brought on board. That's not creating any real dent in uh, the numbers coming down dramatically such that people can get their full driving licences. So it's still a major issue. And the RSA is telling us that, you know, they have capacity to do 50,000 um, or an additional 25,000. They can do, sorry, 50,000 per month of the driver theory test. But, you know, that hasn't been resourced by government. So really, uh, what, what really needs to happen here, we feel, Patricia, is that the instructors... The, the people, the RSA, the driver theory testers and the driving testers, the government needs to sit down and, and pull people in and work through a solution here that will see people getting their tests, driver theory tests, their instruction and their full driving licences and full tests in a timely fashion because we feel this is going to drag on for months. Yeah, and, we're, and, and listening to those numbers, I mean, we're talking about a lot of people who are involved here. And as our listener, you know, raised the question, why, when we, I mean, we've nearly 70% of the population vaccinated. Why can't vul, a fully vaccinated learner driver and a fully vaccinated instructor, why can't they be allowed to proceed and complete, you know, she mentioned the EDT, the pretest and the refresher uh, lessons. If everyone is fully vaccinated, you know, abide by all of the hand sanitising and the wearing of masks, even have the windows open for ventilation if they, if, if they need, if you, if, you know, if you want to be extra careful. There are, there are things that can be done here. There are measures that can be done which are already taking place in other settings. So it's about being consistent as to how you apply the public health uh, protocols. So they can be applied uh, in, in a driving test scenario in the same way as they have been uh, in other scenarios where people are maybe perhaps not uh, you know fully fully vaccinated or they're in a certain age cohort uh, you know it's encouraging to see that they're now moving down the age cohorts further and registration uh, is opening up for the you know for for teen- teenagers however they're the ver- that's the very cohort that need to you know start their driving lessons and get their driver theory tests done uh, the, the, the cohort that I'm very concerned about is the cohort who are, we'll say, the 20-somethings, 30-somethings, and uh, and above that cohort who are, say, you know, some of whom are fully vaccinated. Uh, they need to take up new opportunities like jobs or, or study in September where you're going to have blended learning where people will be travelling uh, and, and learning from home at the same time, but they'll be travelling to campuses and they won't necessarily be taking up college accommodation, for instance, because of the sheer cost of that in a blended learning environment. They're going, you know, parents and they themselves will save money. I'm concerned that they would get uh, be in a position to, uh, you know, take up, you know, those courses and not be ha- not be prevented from taking up those courses because they don't have the full licences. And similarly for people uh, working in the medical profession, nurses in particular, you know, who will be coming out of colleges, will be working 
working, uh, you know, in, in hospital settings and quite simply at, at present are not, you know, still some people find it hard or, or difficult to, to, to get into that, into the system, the driver testing system, if you will. The, the other issue that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm slightly concerned about is that we, we don't have an adequate supply of instructors at present and one would be, you know, without having spoken to any of the instructors, but you'd be slightly concerned that instructors themselves, we need to protect their well-being as well and their health at the same time. So that, you know, where you've massive demand for instruction at the moment, uh, that you, we need to kind of mind the instructors as well, such that, you know, they're not, you know, overworked or putting in, uh, you know, I- extremely long hours that, uh, you know, having a knock-on effect on their own health. And I think the key, the solution to that is is for you know, the RSA government and the instructors to sit down, uh, you know, to their national bodies to work through solutions to ensure that more people can get the instruction in a safe way. And similarly, you know, we need more than the additional 80 driver testers that have been, uh, you know, allocated uh, by the department because it's clearly not enough to meet the throughput of demand that's going through the funnel at present. Okay, and the obvious one then on the theory test is to move all of those tests or make more of them available online. I know they have been running on a limited, on a pilot basis, but why can't they be doing more of those tests online? The RSA will tell you that they can do 50,000 per month. They would need to be resourced to do that. We had worked hard on trying to get some sort of pilot and get that underway. But what we're seeing is that on the the four online labs, as they call them, that there's about 14,000 who are waiting for the driver theory test. We believe strongly that that could be ramped up uh, significantly. And that shouldn't take, like once you prove that the model works, it's a case of just replicating the model then right across uh, the country. Uh, And I, I don't understand why they haven't moved into that I feel that it's a symptom of government lethargy on the whole issue. I think they're they're taking a laissez-faire approach, a kind of a hands-off approach to this whole issue to say, look, ah, well, look, it'll work itself out through the system eventually. But I don't think that it will because as, as people, you know, as people grow older, you know, the natural progression is that once you, you know, move into the 16, 18, you know, you're, you're going to start you're thinking about learning how to drive. And what we're seeing is that the numbers are proving to us that, you know, if there's 118,000 people who are waiting for the driver theory test, and they're not all in that age category, that's, there's a spread on that. And if those figures were from the 14th of July, you, it's, it's safe to say that that number is going to increase exponentially as the months go on. So it will require... Uh, government intervention. There's no question about that. So they and need and just, sooner rather than later, Sean, because those numbers are just going to keep getting bigger. Keep, yeah. keep getting bigger. So if we can intervene at the three stages, you intervene at the, to make sure that people get their driver theory test. That means more resources put into the online facilities to allow more people to do the test online. You have to work with the instructors then to work through the temporary lack of supply of instructors. That's a conversation between government and the instructors to, you know, maybe the RSA, but I don't have the wisdom of Solomon on that. I take the wisdom of the instructors if they approach me on that one as to what solutions might be available there. And we'll certainly work with them if they approach me to work back to government on that one. And then the third part of the jigsaw uh, or, or 
or where the funnel is or where the problem is, is it, you know, we will need more than the additional 80 instructors. Uh, and know, actually, our, our listener, when, when our listener wrote to us earlier in the week, she also pointed out that while there are these additional testers, they didn't extend the opening hours of the test centre. They still finish at five. And, and that's the key to it. There needs to be greater flexibilities built in for the testers so that you're, you're working to create the environment that allows further flexibility for people to be able to, to do the, their tests as and when. You know, work through the employer repre- employee representative with the employee representatives to ensure, you know, that whatever rate for the job that goes with the the overtime or whatever, that that's done. But that's easily done if, if the political willingness uh, is, is there. Uh, you know, I wouldn't see that as a major issue. But I think what you need is a minister with a hands-on approach to this and not a hands-off approach. And I think the current minister has just kind of gone to ground on this one to be honest about it yeah it's really it, it, it just is, is so uh, so un, unfair and of course let us not forget that the delays come as a cost for learner drivers I mean we only recently did a piece about how the additional cost on somebody's car insurance premium in a delay in going from a learner driver to having your full licence there's an additional cost what we want in the country are safe drivers and fully accredited, fully licensed drivers. And that's the bottom line. It's not fair that anybody should have to wait for, you know, wait unduly for, you know, something which is theirs as of right if they go through the process. Uh, and that is all about resources. That's why I, I keep saying that, you know, the Taunist is telling us that they want to open up the economy so that people can take up job opportunities. They want to get people off the PUP payment. But that's contingent on people having clean and full licences. So it seems to me to be very self-evident. You know, if you were in government today, what you'd be doing is saying, look, you'd be going to the Department of Public Expenditure and Reform if you were, uh, uh, you know, the Transport Minister. And you'd say, look, I need an additional... Uh, X number of uh, testers you know we need to work with instructors to see how we can increase the number of instructors that are there albeit on a temporary basis if needs be so until supply meets demand Uh, and then you know at the front end then the driver theory test you'd be saying to the RSA well okay what do you need by way of a resource Uh, how much is that going to cost to get 50,000 people done per month uh, on average that you're saying that you can do well here's the figure okay let's sign the check let's get it done you know, that's the way to do it. And, you know, at a time when, uh, you know, resources are, albeit on a borrowed basis, uh, are, are there for, for all sorts of initiatives, then I think, you know, it can be done. And this is vital to our economy. It's vital to people being able to get from A to B. Yeah, somebody said, to, could you ask Sean, where does the money go for the theory test? Uh, because I queried a transaction on my visa card and it said it went to the UK. Uh, no, I'm open to correction on this. I, my understanding is that the theory test is provided by a uh, a private company, uh, we'll say under licence or under a tender process. But I would put a health warning on what I'm saying. Uh, but but it's not the state, as I understand it, that is providing the service. It is a company, and it could be that that company uh, is not 
They may have an Irish operation, but the parent operation could be in the UK. All right. Okay. Well, if you get any update on this, because the other one I know that has frustrated a lot of our our listeners, particularly uh, parents bringing their sons and daughters to theory uh, tests, and they'll take a theory test anywhere they can get their hands on one. I mean, we'd somebody from West Cork travelled was going to have to travel to Mayo uh, for that's where their son got a driver theory test uh, for nine o'clock in the morning. The last time we spoke on this, we spoke about the fact that there was somebody from Fumoy who, you know, was asked, given the option of going to Carrigan Shannon. In crazy, Leitrim. just it, crazy. It, yeah, and and I, that wasn't a computer generator. That was speaking to somebody who knew that the person was, you know, miles away from the test centre and saying, well, the next available appointment is, do you want to take that? Well, well you would assume that that person, if it's a parent that, that is taking that person to the centre, that that person would be able to do an online test. Let's yeah, make that yeah. assumption. Yeah. So if the online test was available to that person, they'd be, I'm sure, would be glad to do it. But of course, and, we and still that, have the problem with the online uh, test in that you can't do it on a smartphone and you can't do it on a tablet. You have to have a desktop computer. That's it. But if, if say, assuming if, 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 if the person, I, I think... I found this from my own personal experience that if you need to get access to an online or a desktop, uh, you know, the, the, there are ways and means yeah, that somebody, yeah, to do yeah, that yeah, through the community yeah. anyway, you know. Yeah, but so, I, I, I just don't know why that they, they they didn't work around that. But anyway, yeah, I, yeah, I appreciate but, that. But, that. But, but you're right, Patricia, like it's the it, it's how ridiculous it has become. I mean... So they seem to be making it harder. Every, every turn seems to be coming up with some other kind of a problem for these learner well, drivers. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I, I'm talking to very reasonable people over the last 12 months who've told me that the state is becoming almost Orwellian in terms of how it manages what are very simple and day-to-day challenges. And, and that scenario of sending somebody who wants to do a driver theory test from North Cork to Mayo, Orwellian. That is so surreal. We've enough enough conspiracy theorists. (laughs) We shall leave it there, Uh, Sean. Thank thank you you for that and thanks for joining us. Uh, Good morning to you. Uh, That is uh, Labour Doll Deputy for Cork East, uh, Sean Sherlock. Cork today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Just on the driving tests, Elaine in McCroom has been trying to book a theory test for her daughter. She spent every day of last week trying and she was kept on hold for hours. No reply to any emails that she sent. The live chat never becomes available. The earliest date she has been given for her daughter who is in McCroom to sit a driver theory test is Christmas Eve. And wait for this, it's in Port Leash. Dear God, you'd have enough to be doing on Christmas Eve without having... And of course, the fact that somebody doing a driver theory test, somebody has to drive the person to do the driver theory test and to think you've been asked to wait until Christmas Eve. But listening to to Sean, I mean, the driver theory test waiting list has now gone up. The last time we looked at it, it was at about 100,000. It's up at 118,000. And that's with all of the people who have been doing driver theory tests and been allowed to do it online. But And I know the last time we mentioned online, we had a number of listeners who were lucky enough to secure a spot online but there seems to be a limited number available online as well but I mean here we are in July with somebody looking to do a driver theory test and the end of the year Christmas Eve the next available date how frustrating is that and then Miriam Abandon says she knows a driving instructor who's not willing to go back to work because he can't be sure who's vaccinated and who's not vaccinated and he's not willing to sit in a car I mean I'm assuming he's probably vaccinated himself but not willing to sit in a car with unvaccinated uh, people. So, and Sean Sherlock even accepted that we do have a problem that we don't have enough driving instructors 
and the ones that are working are working absolutely uh, flat out. We've heard of people who did get a test date and then can't get you on the final lessons that you do for the refresher uh, course. We heard of one girl finally got her test couldn't get refresher courses anywhere because all the driving instructors were booked out and she reckons she failed um, very small things that if she'd gone for lessons in the days leading up to the test she reckons she would have passed 1850 Now the big beach cleanup is back again this year. It'll run from September 17th to September 19th and it's part of the International Coastal Cleanup. To chat about how we can get involved I'm joined by Pruncheus Otuma of the Clean Coast uh, Ballinamona. Good morning, Chip Runchies. Morning, Patricia. How are you? I, I'm, I'm, I'm very well, and thank you for taking our call because I know you're driving at the moment and, and you've pulled well, I've in. Well, I've actually I pulled in. Well done. Well, well, well done. Do is your hope on weekends like this to get new volunteers involved in beach cleanups? Absolutely. Um, I mean, I think the, the the big thing is that you know cleaning a beach, whether you know, whether you want to be part of a group or do it as a family unit or, you know, in your own pod. I mean, anybody can do it. You can do a two-minute one. You can come out with us and do an hour. And so, look, absolutely, anybody can do it. And it doesn't have to be the beach because, look, 80% of of, uh, beach litter starts from land. So, um, you know, the beach really starts outside your window. So, I mean, just picking up the, the, you know, any any discarded pieces of litter um, around your house, your street, your shop, anything like that. And preventing it getting into the streams, rivers, which you know eventually end up on the beach, and um, would be a good thing because I mean, when you're doing a beach clean, there is no you know final defence or anything like that. You know, it's, it's already too late. Yeah, because I, I was interested when I was reading up about it yesterday. I thought it was just literally for people to go out, head out uh, to their beaches. But you very much want people inland at nowhere near a beach to sign up and to play uh, and to play their part across that weekend. Absolutely. I mean, you, you know, there's fabulous initiatives. There's, there's support there. I mean, you know, if, if you can you, you can log on to cleancoast.org or get in touch with the National Spring Team and you'll be provided with, with cleanup kits and registers, group, anything like that, or just even just as a family pod. And, and you know, just, you know, the, the supplies will be sent to you of, of bags and, and pickers or gloves or whatever they're, they're going Brilliant. to be sending out. Brilliant. And in fairness to um, Cully and Sully, they're, they're sponsoring the, the big beach clean this year. Um, and it's their their second or third year doing it, you know, and, and it's, it's support like that, which is is, is really good. And uh, in, in, I suppose the one that the, the last big one that everyone did was 2019 pre-COVID. Remember those days? Yeah, and yeah. Was there was the, none last was, year. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was the biggest beach clean that was ever carried out. You know, there's oh. over 1,300 clean coast groups out there. So look, you know, if you're not close to the coast, you can do one, you know, in, in your local land because. As I said earlier, 80% of, of uh, marine litter starts on land. Yeah, and between now and the clean-up, we can all do our part when we are visiting the beach. I mean, there's the whole thing about leave nothing behind. Anything you bring with you, you take away with you and maybe collect a little bit of litter along the way. Do you know, there's a lovely initiative, you know, a tree for the sea, which is a really good idea. Um, apart from, you know, taking your own, you know, uh, pieces with you, that, you know, you take uh, three pieces of, 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 of litter that you didn't create or you didn't bring or leave after you. Just bring three pieces away yourself, put them in, and you actually don't see or feel that kind of going into your own rubbish bin. And if everybody did that, particularly like last week when we had the glorious weather and all of our beaches were packed, Absolutely. how clean Absolutely. our beaches could be if everyone did a, a simple thing like that, picking up three pieces each. And I saw photographs of your clean-up. Was it, was it a Bally Brannigan? 
Yeah, we did yeah. one uh, with a bunch of students um, on Bally Brannigan. So we we got a big um, we got a big net out of it. Uh, so that can become a ghost net. Uh, a ghost net is a, a net that just is discarded and it just keeps on catching and catching and it's, it's not going to do anything. Um, you know, it, it, uh, and then there was a, a lobster pot as well um, that was just buried into the sand. And the kids then that we were working with, um, I mean, just in the hour that we did with them, they picked up nine nine bags. And when you look at all that the, from the fishing industry, the, the debris from fishing, is there anything the fishing industry can do or are they trying to do their best already? There is a wonderful lady in BIM, Bordy Skawara, called Catherine Barrett, and she has a superb programme. She's working with the fishing industry. It's called Fishing for Litter. So the guys that are out in the boat trawling, I mean, there's some fabulous fishermen in the All and Valley Cotton that I would know personally who are involved in this. And any pieces of litter that they're picking up, uh, they're hauling into the boat. And there's a skip on the key wall um, back at the 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 on, on the Ballycotton Pier and the Yall uh, Pier, where they um, there's a skip for them just to put in the old. Is that fantastic? Yeah, no, it's it's superb. I mean, so there is a response, and they have. I can't remember the number. I did see it recently, but like they, I think have. Uh, in the last couple of years, I think it's over 100 tonnes that they've actually caught out at sea and brought back to the, the Key Walls. And Captain Barrett has Something. been driving that on and, and in fairness to her, she's doing amazing work. Because we, it's a worldwide problem, marine litter. Is it getting any better? Is it getting worse in your opinion? Uh, look, there's, there's times I think it's getting better and there's times I, I, I think, you know, <laughs> do we throw our hands at it? You know, I am there was a few of us um, yesterday. We went down to White Bay. We hadn't been down there in three weeks. So there was myself. There was Nick from Ruska Coffee. Um, we we went down to White Bay, and there was a few other volunteers who were just kind of you know checking on the beaches that we're we're working on. And I won't say that we had a spotless three weeks ago, but we there was a lot of clothing, there was a lot of masks, a lot of bottles, broken bottles, beer cans, uh. food. Someone even brought. Um, Probably the worst wild camper or wild chef ever, but there was a couple of steaks inside in a packet unopened. <laughs> it was like, you know, um, so look, we, we packed up the 12 bags and, uh, and we, we threw them into the, the, the back of the Jeep. And in fairness, then we, we dropped them off to Carcoco um, at the compound and, and they, they, they took them in there. But look, it, it's just, I suppose, look, we're, you know, White Bay is a beautiful beach. And and can be, and you know, and can be an amazing beach. I I just think that you know people need to consider you know like a beach like White Bay where you're going, what you're bringing in. Uh, like there's an eight hundred, nine hundred meter hill down onto the beach. So anything that you're carrying down that hill, you know, it's fine bringing it down, but you have to carry it back up that hill. I know. Um, so you know, just a just a bit of common sense. Do do you need to bring all the stuff down? And certainly, you know, for someone who who is you know. <laughs> Carrying, carrying a, a tent or or, or uh, refreshment stone. You know, if you're drinking the refreshment stone there, they'll be empty, so it should be easier to, to bring, kind of bring yeah. them out. Bring everything so, no. back with you. Just bring everything. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It's absolutely. it's it isn't rocket science. It is. It really is simple enough. And people can sign up for the big beach clean on cleancoasts.org. Yeah, cleancoast.org. Um, get in touch there. Sign up. And, and uh, they'll be in touch and, and uh, you know, look, it, it's a very simple thing to do. And if anybody, you know, does want help or support, they can also go to ballynamona.org where we are 
and uh, we're happy to help our good team right. and trust on you, You're doing fantastic work. Keep it up. We'll speak again, Prunchius. Let you back no to your worries. driving. Thanks a million. <laughs> bye, 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 bye. That is uh, Prunchius Otuma of uh, Clean Coasts, uh, Ballynamona. 1850-333-103. Can anyone offer this listener some advice, please? Listener sends a message saying, Hi, Trish. Is there such a thing these days as a little crossbred puppy, cheap or free to a good home? The reason I write to you is I just want a little dog will sit in the car with me, sit in the sofa beside me and encourage me to go out for a walk and to get some exercise. I have cats and hens, so I need a very young pup in order to teach him not to chase the cats and the hens. The only thing I can find are rescue dogs who have a dodgy history are pups that cost many hundreds of euro. Doesn't anyone's family pet have pups anymore? Or is it because they're getting all of their dogs neutered? Well, I imagine, yes, I imagine the majority of family dogs and pet owners are being responsible and getting their pets neutered so that they don't end up with a load of pups trying to find uh, homes for them. I'm surprised to hear you say that the only rescue dogs you can find have a dodgy history because you'll hear of rescue centres who will rescue a dog and the dog will actually be pregnant and will end up having pups. So some of the rescues have pups as well. So I don't know how many different rescues you've gone to. But anyway, we'll see if anybody else can give a suggestion for somebody who doesn't want to pay an arm and a leg. And we know, God knows, we know how expensive it is now to buy pedigree pups. They really are, particularly since the pandemic, the cost of buying any of those pups purebred pups is just gone off the Richter scale. In some cases they've almost doubled in uh, price and then you've got to be very careful who you're buying from and then we know we hit the scourge of dogs being robbed and sold because they can make money. So so certainly you're going down the right route in even thinking of going to for a rescued uh, dog but I don't know if all rescue dogs have a dodgy history. Anyway, if anybody could give a suggestion to this to this listener looking for an, like a nice little dog crossbred it doesn't matter a little Jack Russell might be nice somebody will sit up on the sofa sit with her you know go for, and encourage her to go out for walks I think is the most important part of it as well so if anybody can offer advice I just, I just don't know it's coming by text so I don't know what area of Cork City or County the listener is texting us from but if anyone has advice uh, I'd be interested in hearing from you please 1850 still getting in complaints about people not being able to access Cork hurling championship matches as this listener our football matches this listener on TV there has been no Cork hurling championship game on RTE since 2019 is it as long ago as that? Um, this listener says very disappointing for older people and for people who don't have Sky they can't see their own team play I've been getting similar texts to that I think every day this week since we started talking about it on Monday on the programme so to that listener you're not on your own in giving out about it a lot of people very annoyed with the GAA that they did that deal with uh, Sky On driving tests Patricia I heard some of your interview with Deputy Sean Sherlock about driving tests and theory tests. What we need is more well-trained driver testers. We have lots of driving instructors. That's from a West Cork listener. And I, I don't know if we do because we're hearing constantly from 
the driving instructors who are working, that they are working flat out. They can't keep up with the number of calls they are getting. And then we only, when I was chatting with uh, Sean Sherlock, heard from one of our listeners and it was, I'm sure it was out of West Cork. It was out abandoned. Somebody said they know of a driving instructor who's not going back because they're not willing to work with people who are not fully vaccinated. So not every driving instructor has gone back to work and with the number of people who are looking for lessons there just literally isn't enough hours in the day so I do think there is a problem there that we we, we need more dry and Sean Sherlock definitely agrees that we need more driving uh, instructors and then a listener says can I drive without a full a full driver somebody with a full driver's licence in the car with me I'm very badly uh, stuck yeah and that's somebody who's on a learner permit you're meant to have a fully qualified driver with you all the time now that's not to say that people don't take the chance they do but if you get caught you could end up in big big uh, trouble and if you're very badly stuck I I, I just don't know what the answer to that is and the listener is also saying they need to put a driving test centre in in Formoy, yeah, we need to have more driving uh, test uh, centres. Um, I absolutely would agree with you on that. And then uh, a listener says, this is on vaccines. I'm wondering, Patricia, what happens with the 12 to 15 year olds when they open the portal? What if they don't have photo ID? Not every 12 to 15 year old has a um, Passport, for example, and that's the and they obviously 12 to 15 years are not going to have a driver's license, so they don't all have photo ID. I don't think you have to worry about that because children aged between 12 and 15 who are going to be offered vaccines uh, in the coming weeks, they're going to need to have parental consent. So I'm assuming any photo ID, if photo ID is needed, it's going to be the photo ID of the uh, parent. The government are introducing this. They're racing to vaccinate second level pupils ahead of pupils returning to school at the end of next month. Now, the HSE at the moment is drafting an implementation plan for this, it'll be the youngest cohort uh, to be vaccinated in this country. Parents will have to register their children for the jabs. Parents will also have to accompany their children to the vaccination centres or to the GP, whoever is giving the, va- the vaccine. And young people, by the way, someone else is asking what vaccine will they be offered? They'll be offered either Pfizer or Moderna. Now, new social distancing measures will have to be introduced into the vaccination centres because they'll have to take into account that the children will have to be accompanied by a parent or a guardian and they're fearful that that actually may slow the process of vaccinating the group. I mean, anyone who's been to a vaccination centre will know that once you go into the vaccination centre, when you get your vaccine, that's all really quick, but then you've got to sit for the 15 minutes. If you think of that area now, they're going to have to space everybody out because there'll be two people sitting where one person is sitting at the moment. Now, it is hoped that a significant number of the 257,000, that's over a quarter of a million, children aged between 12 and 15 in the country and it is hoped that the significant number of them will have at least one dose before the country's schools uh, return. There is concern within the government over the potential for vaccine hesitancy though amongst parents when the online portal for vaccines for the children opens up early next month. So it'll be, uh, I saw on the TV last night, they kind of did a bit of a vox pop out in the street where they were stopping parents with 
children and asking them, you know, have you heard about the 12 to 15 year olds? And uh, the majority, certainly that just on that little Vox Pop that were being interviewed, were very welcoming of it. And many of the 12 to 15 year olds, their parents themselves have already been vaccinated. So I don't know how much vaccine hesitancy will be there only, I suppose, time will uh, tell. And of course, as I say, the whole idea is to try to get as many of them with at least one dose, if not fully vaccinated, before the schools uh, reopen, even though it will be, they'll be probably the first week or two back at school and they'll be due their second jab, so they won't be long in the school gates before they are uh, fully vaccinated. And of course, Norma Foley, the Education Minister, she continues to outline her proposals to get children back to school in September because that's a worry for so many parents. We've seen so many times that the schools haven't reopened. Are they reopened and then went into lockdown? And I've I would be hard pushed to find any parent who likes the fact that schools are closed and homeschooling. Some of the pupils might like it, but certainly the parents uh, don't. So the Minister for Education, Norma Foley, is piloting the use of antigen testing and that will screen students when they do go back. There's also going to be a renewed focus on ventilation in classrooms and CO2 monitors are going to be provided to schools. I remember a number of weeks ago we had a professor on from UCC who had all the studies done about ventilation and showing how important ventilation is in preventing the spread of COVID-19. If, God forbid, somebody's in a classroom and goes to school not realising that they're COVID-19 positive, if they've got good ventilation in the, in the classroom. And the one way to check if you've good ve- ventilation is to keep an eye on a CO2 monitor. So it's looking very much like that that's what Norma Foley is planning on doing at the moment. But to that parent worried that their 12 to 15-year-old doesn't have any photo ID, don't think you have to worry about it because it's, it will be the parent, I imagine, will possibly have to be photo ID with him or her. 1853, and by the way that portal isn't open yet. Somebody's saying how can I sign sign my son up for it? It isn't opened yet. The HSC are now working on it. It's expected to be open in the early next month now early next month this weekend is the start of August so within the coming weeks I imagine that portal will will open 1850 333103 our lines are open C103 Jobs ACABs they're based in Bandon they are looking for drivers with SPSV licence while a childminder is required it's to look after two children in the Drummaham area it's for week on week off basis and teachers holidays Office Administrator, Trainee Accounting Technician Wanted, that's for Newmarket. And Experienced Roofer, Trainee Roofers and Labourers are all wanted to work in the West Cork area. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Or today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 103. Now, according to the Irish Independent newspaper yesterday, income raised from families' homes being rented out. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. While their owner is in a nursing, was in nursing home care, will be exempt from contributions to the state's fair deal scheme under the government's housing for all plan. So, how will nursing home residents react to such a plan? Joining me, Ty Daly, CEO of uh, Nursing Homes Ireland. Good morning to you, Ty. Good morning, Patricia. Now, Ty, this has been spoken about before. Our incentives to get nursing home residents to rent out their homes has been spoken about them before. Is there a huge emotional attachment, though, to the family home? Oh, absolutely. And I wouldn't underestimate that one bit. I mean, the, the move from a person's own home to a nursing home is a, is a very significant life-changing event and, and sometimes very difficult experience um, for, for families um, to, to leave their own home. So I wouldn't underestimate that at all. So I think the ultimate uh, issue here is that we need to focus very much on the person uh, and the most important person in, in the decision is the older person himself or herself. So as you say, it has been uh, floated before and indeed yesterday's media reports is very much around the housing policy rather than necessarily uh, the, the care policy. But I think Broadly speaking, uh, you know, we, we, we would welcome it because I suppose um, what it what it what it does is is, is it looks at the, the potential for uh, you know properties that are currently vacant, for example, to be uh, brought back into into housing stock. Uh, but you know, significant questions will arise, and you know, significant safeguards will, will arise as well. Uh, I suppose the the issue for us really is that, and it's not necessarily for us really, but the current system is most definitely a disincentive. Okay, uh, I suppose for, for, for people who don't understand this, just to explain, uh, if somebody b- wants to rent out their home and they are currently living uh, yes. in a nursing home, just explain what happens to the income raised from the rent. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the fair deal scheme that you and I have spoken about on many occasions, in effect, a person contributes 80% of their of their income and up to 22.5% of their assets. So currently, in, in simple language, is that if you rent your house, uh, and the income from that house, then eighty percent of that income is is effect is is used as part of your contribution towards your care. So the Department of Housing's view is that that is a say is, is a disincentive to people to to rent property because they feel you know there's no income to be derived from it, uh, and in fact it, you know for some families it would be problematic. You know who's going to manage the property. Um, and uh, upkeep of the property, for example. So, yeah, granny uh, inside in the nursing home can't exactly be the landlord, landlady. No, absolutely. And I think as well as that, you know, as I said at the outset, uh, you know, sometimes people, uh, you know, leave to, to go to a nursing home and, and may, in, in fact, return to their own home. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think sometimes people, you know, particularly in the early stages, 
uh, people might say, well, I, I'm, I'm going to try out the nursing home and see how it goes for me, you know, if, if their condition allows. Um, and with the appropriate home support, they may actually return to live in their own home. So there are all those there are all those issues. So in, in effect, as I said, the current model, I suppose, uh, and the way it's framed is, is a disincentive. But, you know, it, 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 this isn't for everybody. And I think ultimately it's a matter for each individual family and their own individual uh, set of circumstances. Yeah, because I know the government, I was reading somewhere that the government reckons there's over 9,000 family homes lying vacant while their owner uh, is is in a nursing home. So, I mean, that is a lot of houses lying vacant, bearing in mind that we have a housing crisis. And I suppose that's what the go- that's all the government is really thinking about here is their family homes that families could be now living in. That's right, absolutely. I mean, they're looking at it through, I suppose, a, 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 a relatively narrow prism if you like, in terms of the freeing up of those of those vacant properties. And you can see, I suppose, the, the, the rationale behind that. You know, it, it could be considered, a, I suppose, a reasonable enough measure. Uh, but uh, because our view is that, you know, while we would broadly welcome it, uh, you know, these changes to the fair deal are very much done in isolation. Um, and I think it's important as well that, you know, people would be, would be clear that this isn't about having to rent. Uh, or, or to rent out the home, you know, e- each situation, as I say, would have to be dealt with uh, on its on, on its own uh, on its own merits, you know. Because I did see the Minister for Older People, Mary Butler, when obviously this idea was floated by her, she's fearful that the policy shift could result in uh, elder abuse. And what she was talking about was, you know, prompting some families to maybe put somebody into care in order just to rent out the property. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I, that's the point I was making a few moments ago in terms of the appropriate safeguards. Uh, you know, ultimately, you know, this is a person's own home. And, and uh, as long as it's in their name and as long as they have the deeds of the house, as it were, you know, we must ensure that the, the rights of that person aren't infringed in, in any way. And I think, you know, it, that is a legitimate question. And that's why it's important that the, the legislation and, and the process and procedures around it uh, are watertight in, in terms of ensuring uh, that it's done with the best of intentions, obviously the best of motives, uh, and and as you say, that there isn't any financial abuse, for example, uh, in in terms of uh, the very very small number, I would suggest. But by the same token, we need to have those those safeguards and those safeguards in place. Um, I suppose what we've looked for, as you know, over a long number of years, is that there needs to be a review of the the fair deal scheme in its in in, in its totality. Uh, and I mean, while there was a recent change in terms of the farming and business assets, now another proposed change. Uh, our view was that we should look at uh, at the, the scheme now. You know, it was introduced in 2009. Uh, you know, we're now almost, uh, you know, 11, 11 years on or, uh, uh, since the introduction of the scheme. So it should be reviewed in its totality. And all of these issues should form part of a, an overarching piece of work really rather than dealing with them on a piecemeal basis. Yeah, yeah and I think Grace really sums it up for some families. Grace says my grandmother has been a resident in a nursing home for the last five years she always dreams of one day going home to the house that she lived in for the past 60 years. Before the pandemic we'd often take her out for a drive on a Sunday even if it was only to drive by her house. Uh, She would never contemplate she would never contemplate renting out her house because she believes, even though it will never happen, says Grace, but she believes one day that she will go home. That's a poor woman. And there would be a lot like that. Yeah, and I, I think yeah. I was alluding to that point earlier yeah. on, is that, you know, we do need to keep the, the resident at the centre of any, yeah, any, any such decision. And while it might, it might seem economic sense or it might make sense in terms of freeing up accommodation for, you know, what is a very significant housing crisis, don't get me wrong, uh, but ultimately... 
you know, the, the idea that it would be done without either the agreement uh, or the express agreement of the older person himself or herself is not that that should happen. Yeah. I mean, I'm familiar with, with that as well as people, you know, going home maybe, uh, you know, at the weekend, for example, yeah. uh, or as you say, going home on an occasion, you know, it might be a birthday party or it might be a family occasion that people might gather in, in the person's home. Yeah. And I think that's a very, very, that's a very, very important element of, I mean, we, we, we have a, um, a strong, I suppose, link to our own, our own place. We have a strong sense of place. Uh, as an as a society, and I think that that is important to be maintained in, in all of this discussion. So yeah. uh, it isn't something that should happen, you know, quickly. Uh, it's something that needs to be discussed and 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 teased out uh, to ensure that it's it, it's the right decision. Yeah. But uh, but ultimately, I think it, it 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 is really a matter for each individual and each individual set of circumstances. And it will work for some, and some people it might will. might like the idea of making a bit of income out of their house, but it, it certainly can't be forced on anyone uh, for sure. Now we haven't spoken to you in a while. Uh, particularly about COVID, which is it's good that we haven't needed to speak yeah. to you, Ty, in a while. Tell me how nursing homes are, are getting on. Very little uh, COVID cases now, thank God. Yes, absolutely. No, I mean, uh, thankfully, we're in a, in, a, in a much, much different place. Uh, at the moment, there's one open outbreak across the country out of almost 550 homes. So uh, clearly the vaccination has been, um, you know, so, so effective. Um, you know, still challenges, I suppose, in terms of, of uh, you know, COVID in the community. I mean, we've seen that the, the Delta variant has uh, very high numbers now at this point in time across Ireland. So that is still a concern because we've seen HICWID did their own research uh, and the Health Protection Surveillance Centre and they would say quite clearly that the, the you know the biggest indicator of an outbreak in a nursing home is that there's high community transmission. So still very vigilant. You know, people still need to, uh, you know, take all of the necessary precautions. Uh, visiting has eased considerably. Um, we are engaged with government, I suppose, on the notion of people maybe requiring to be vaccinated to visit a nursing home. So uh, we still need to be vigilant, but uh, clearly in a much better place. And now, I suppose, the conversation now is moving on to, you know, the, the booster vaccine, potentially. Uh, all residents and staff would have been vaccinated in January of this year, as you know. So um, that's the next challenge. And there's already now, talks of, of that, isn't there, of them in the coming, uh, certainly in autumn into winter, of that the first to get a booster will be nursing home residents, people over 80, and uh, right. people in, in, in healthcare uh, settings. Yeah. So, so yeah, that that certainly is, is, is important. And obviously, if you are visiting anybody in a nursing home, do not go in. If you have any kind of, even sniffles, any kind of symptoms, go nowhere near a nursing home, because we, we do know there are breakthrough cases. Yeah, absolutely, and that's what's that's what's concerning, I suppose, is that there, as you said, there are there are breakthrough cases. I mean, what's particularly uh, worrying is that in in the north of Ireland, there's actually 44 open outbreaks in care homes in the north at the moment. Now, I understand that there's relatively small numbers, but you know, by the same token, that's a very very significant number. As I say, in Ireland, in the Republic, we only have one currently, and uh, the challenge for all of us now is to keep it keep it that way and 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 um, make sure that we can. Uh, I suppose face the winter with a little bit more uh, hope and confidence now uh, that the vaccination has been uh, so, so effective. You mentioned visiting and visiting uh, hours. Uh, I'm assuming they're not back to the way they were pre-pandemic. Uh, well, we're, we're moving towards that, definitely. Uh, I mean, the most recent guidance came in just a, a number of weeks ago. Um, and, uh, you know, there is, uh, I suppose, uh, a, a more how will I put it, enabling uh, provision around visiting. So we would still say to people that they should check in with the nursing home before they visit because clearly what we don't want is a large number appearing, you know, at any given time. So at the moment it's about ensuring that you don't have, uh, you know, particularly on maybe evenings or weekends, that you'd have a large number at any given time. But we are moving towards a more 
um, a more open uh, visiting visiting process. So that's why it's important that you know people would, as you say, clearly anybody with symptoms or uh, a close contact should go nowhere near any healthcare facility, but particularly a nursing home. Um, you know, take all the necessary precautions. And we would be, uh, I suppose, suggesting to government that uh, consideration now be given to that only vaccinated people should be uh, considered for visitation. And there possibly is a role as well for antigen testing, uh, maybe over the winter, just so that we um, absolutely keep on top of this virus. Because we, one thing we do know for definite is that every time we, we feel that we're out of the woods, you know... Uh, Something happens. Absolutely, the virus, the virus outsmarts us. Outsmarts mm. us all, and it's so. the same all over the world. It's, it's not just it here. Is. Interesting when you say antigen testing, because I just did a piece about the young, you know, young people getting the been offered the vaccine and Norma Foley now making sure the schools will reopen end of August, start of September. And she's already mentioned antigen testing for students. Yeah, I mean, we've we've discussed that a number of occasions with government and with the minister in particular. And then there was a group by Science Foundation Ireland which uh, recommended it be used in certain circumstances. Now, we had a situation in nursing homes where uh, staff were serial tested literally every week. And now that's... um, uh, removed, I suppose, yeah. as we go. Uh, so, you know, we would feel that at least consideration should be given to the role of antigen testing. And I know some members and some nursing homes are actually using it at the moment for staff uh, just as a, a, an additional precautionary safety measure. So, you know, if, if, if government are using it in other sectors like education, uh, then we feel that it has a role to play potentially in, in, in the health service and in particular in nursing homes. Yeah, so because we'll be they, they, we'll were be the ones, they were the ones who were most affected at the start of this and they, uh, our nursing home residents so now need to be protected. And Lorraine wants to know, are all nursing home staff fully vaccinated, Ty? Uh, the number is, is something north of 90% is what, is what I'm hearing. So the HSE, as you know, they undertake the vaccination programme and what the, the, the figures they give us is uh, it's up to 99%, as I understand it, of residents, and it's over 90% in staff. Now, that will be averages. You know, there may be some outliers. So, I mean, we'd still be absolutely working closely with members at the HSE and, and NIAC, for example, to continue to promote vaccination because uh, new staff obviously come. Um, and uh, there was a ruling recently by the Data Protection Commissioner, uh, you know, that, that staff would be uh, questioned, I suppose, if you like, in terms of, uh, whether they are, are, are uh, willing to take the vaccine or not. Uh, the issue of mandatory vaccination of, of healthcare staff is an issue across the world. It's coming in on the 11th of November in the UK, uh, and President Macron is, is, is introducing it in France. So I think that's something we need to keep an eye on, definitely. I mean, clearly, uh, thankfully, the vast, vast majority of staff have accepted and, and availed of the vaccine. But it's not 100%. OK. All right, Tyke, we leave it uh, there as always. A pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for that. Thanks for joining us. Thank you indeed. Good morning. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. That is uh, Tyke Daly, CEO of Nursing Homes Ireland. 1850-333-103. Bernie taking your calls. There was a reminder to you that we still have another C103 smart speaker to give away on the programme today with done deal for all of Ireland's trusted car dealerships. Don't text us yet. We'll let you know when you can text being with a chance of winning one of these terrific smart speakers on this, the final day, final week where we're giving them away. Court today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850 333 103. Bernie continues to take your calls. Now, researchers in NUI Galway. They're seeking people who have experienced unusual symptoms during the pandemic to take part in a new psychological study. Joining me with details is Dr. Jonathan Egan, who is clinical psychologist at NUI Galway. Good morning to you, Jonathan. 
Good morning, and, how are you? Uh, I'm very well and, th- and thank you for taking our call. When you say unusual symptoms, Jonathan, what are you referring to here? I suppose we could start off with the, the more common ones, which would be kind of what we call globus hystericus, which you get a kind of feeling of a ball in your throat where you can't swallow, where you have a sense that you can't breathe. That's one of the most common ones. Other ones would be difficulties swallowing food. Maybe seeing, um, if you're in a room looking up to the, to the light, you might see a halo around the light. You might feel like, like a kind of a foggy feeling in your eyesight or you see things in a blue colour or sepia. Um, uh, then with, with your, your, your gastrointestinal system getting a bit upset, maybe more gas or more irritable bowel syndrome. Um, feelings of your legs being heavy, your arms being heavy, tingling um, and kind of electrical feelings down your hands and legs. So every part of the body can be affected in a way. And it's happening because we're living through a pandemic that we've never lived through before, a situation that's never occurred to any of us in our lifetime. Is, is, is that why you think it's happening to some people? I, I think that's par- par- partially it. Um, I, we, our normal fight-or-flight system works very well in acute stressors or stressors over a number of days or weeks. But it, it, I mean, if you think about shell shock or if you think about um, what they call homesickness uh, when people are in the world wars, back in the First World War, um, that people would develop kind of neurological symptoms and symptoms that the body emits after a long period of stress when the fight-or-flight system doesn't work. So we kind of feel more like what's called flagging and fainting type or the immobilization response to stress, which we don't usually see in modern culture. It's more it's this long-term um, chronic inflammation and, and, the, and then the immune system. When we feel you can't escape something, your immune system lowers it, its response isn't as good. And it means also that our response to the antibody, um, um, make, making of antibodies in response to a vaccine doesn't work as well. So we should be really careful with our stress levels. And to, to and eventually people withdraw, they end up feeling very, what's called depersonalized. They don't feel like themselves anymore. And they don't reach for the eyes. If I was in the studio with you, I'd be looking at your eyes and checking your reaction, my reaction. And if I was upset, you might lean forwards towards me. But a, a lot of people have started to be a bit socially anxious and are, are withdrawing from the natural support of the eye-to-eye contact with human beings. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because I know when we, whenever we've come out of lockdowns, particularly any of the prolonged lockdowns, we would often get messages in from listeners or calls in from listeners saying they're quite happy to stay in, in lockdown. Yeah. They don't really want to go back out again. And I yeah. remember one lady in particular sending us an email, you know, normally a very sociable person, and she suddenly said, I'm liking my own company. I don't yeah. want, you know, I was saying, big, beautiful world out there, get back out there. Yeah. But, yeah. But, and, and we forget when we're living through these stressful times, we forget the effect that stress has on our health. Yeah, it, it, it's, a, it's a phenomenal. And, you know, um, when you look at anxiety or threat, our threat system, it loves, loves, loves avoidance behaviour. And it's so easy when we avoid something, the pressure of them going to a wedding or the pressure of to do something in work or make a presentation. Uh, we get that immediate reward of, of some negative reinforcement of, how oh, few, I don't have to do that, or that, that pressure isn't there. So we become, our whole cells contract. Um, and our community contracts and, and, we, and we're less likely to, to take care of other people far away from us. Um, we, we might develop oxytocin, which is a kind of a hormone which, which brings people closer together. But, it, but um, if you read Robert Sapolsky's book by behavior, uh, from, I think from Stanford, he would talk about oxytocin is great, but it makes other people not very uh, salient to you. You don't really care about others as much outside of your immediate clan or people who look like you. 
So people need to look out for these symptoms and obviously these are reoccurring symptoms with no simple medical explanation. Yeah, there's there's no medical explanation. I suppose like for doctors and nurses with burnout, there's no diagnostic test for burnout. But happens people go around feeling emotionally and physically exhausted they feel a bit depersonalised and, and they depersonalise the, their patients. They become a bit more irritable and eventually they, they lose their job satisfaction. There's no actual medical test for that. Um, it's probably related to high levels of cortisol. And that kind of, when you get very high levels of cortisol, you get this kind of brain fog and you, you, you don't, your, your memory doesn't consolidate uh, what you've learned very well. And, and you're finding words might be difficult. You know, that kind of the brain and integration of thoughts, feelings, emotions and, and who you are is affected. So, very hard for us to, to, to diagnose at a biological level, but it's mm. a very rich psychological uh, phenomenon. And do some people cope with stress better than others? Well, yeah. Well, number one, I, the rule book, when I, if I meet a client or a patient, is, how are you sleeping is number one. That's so important for vaccination to, to develop an antibody response. And if we feel overwhelmed and that there's no way out, that's the biggest, has the biggest impact um, on your immune system, which goes down. So people who, who go for their vaccine, that's the reason why we went for over 70s, first of all, because people over 70s take longer to build an antibody response. Um, and if you're more stressed, you, you develop less of a robust antibody response. And if you continue to be stressed, it doesn't last as long. So you, instead of being 12 months, you might get eight months or six months from the vaccine to have a proper antibody response. So some studies have shown that, you know, very stressed carers or older people will have um, a le- less, lesser of an immune response and antibody uh, buildup. Um, and the same with stressed carers, with doctors, with nurses. And people who are depressed tend to have longer, kind of, you know, the, the side effects of, of the vaccine, the, the kind of the feeling of irritability, fatigue, that lasts longer for people who are depressed. So it's, it's really important to manage um, even self-talk and self-compassion and, and a little bit of... Um, uh, uh, What's the way we, 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 you uncle yourself? Now, a uncular attitude towards yourself. Come on, I'll get out there. I'll go to the party. Mm. I'll do. I'll stay there for a few minutes. If I don't feel grand, then I'll, I can leave. But make the effort to get the clothes on, get dressed, and 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 because there's something about our immune system that likes being around other people. It, it takes an effort, yes. But there's some, we, we 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 become more of ourselves when we with the reflection of ourselves through other people. So it's about looking after yourself. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you, and you, you believe there's a link with uh, a, a history of emotional neglect and abuse in childhood? Well, we found that kind of fairly consistently that people who've experienced uh, it's the, the non-being met as a child, they've been emotionally maybe abused or neglected, that those people, maybe they're, they're, we, we think that they're what's called your HPA axis, your hypothalamic, hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, gets uh, dysregulated at a very young age and it means that uh, every new event later on you become slower to warm up in different situations and, and you, your, your stress your threat system set at a higher level um, so, and, and that's because mostly if you've been abused or neglected emotionally it happens nearly every day all the time whereas if sexually abused or physically abused it's probably a discrete time when it occurs um, and it's less like, it's probably make you more likely to develop what's called PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. But the general ongoing stress of not being loved, not being cherished, and, and not being met as a person has a big impact on, on, on people's well-being, their anxiety, their mood, and, and their physical well-being. Okay, and this is an it's an online survey that people can simply go online. Yeah, it'd be great if you could put the link up, um, please. And, and yeah. it's an online. It, it took me 10 minutes to fill out, but I'm quite a fast reader, but okay. it's about 15 to 20 minutes for a slow reader. It's, and it's, it will ask you about those um, 
things have you seen things been a different colour has your taste been affected and it will ask you just, is it medically explained or not and, 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 and look at your mood and look, we'll also ask you if you've had COVID or not because it's hard to it'd be nice to compare a group of people maybe a few hundred people with COVID who've had COVID and these experiences and those who haven't yeah, that'll be interesting. And of course it is. It's one of the questions I should have asked you. It is open to people both who had and who didn't have COVID. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Both, but overall the age of 18. OK, really interesting uh, study. Uh, we look forward to seeing the results of it, uh, Jonathan. Listen, thank, thank you for you that. And thank thanks uh, for joining us. Uh, good morning to you. That is uh, Dr. Jonathan Egan, who is a clinical psychologist at NUI Galway. 1850-333-103. Bernie, taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp to 86 103 103. And, and this, I have to say, this uh, WhatsApp made me smile. This is uh, from, is there a name? And this is from Elizabeth. Elizabeth says, Patricia, has there been any update on the number of people that can attend weddings? The reason I ask is we, myself and my husband, have been have a wedding invitation for the middle of August, but we've been told we'll only be allowed to attend if the numbers rises to 100. If the number is at 50, then unfortunately we're off the list. My husband is hoping that it stays at 50 because he really doesn't want to go to the wedding where I'm quite looking forward to it. Can you fill us in, please? Do I need to get my hat dusted off? Yeah, dust off the hat and let your hubby know he'll be disappointed as you say the number of guests for weddings has increased it was announced yesterday and it increases to 100 and by the way the number of guests at a christening also increases but uh, the ban on First Holy Communions and confirmations remain in place the cabinet yesterday agreed the number of guests at the wedding can double to a uh, hundred there had been concern because of the spread of the highly infectious Delta variant that they may leave it at 50 but no they listened to everybody who was shouting loud enough including some brides who turned up outside of Dáil Éireann uh, yesterday so they also signed off yesterday if you have a, a baby for Christmas 50 people can attend a christening but that's a christening inside in the church they're asking people to please avoid social events afterwards so have the christening and then everybody goes home to their own houses you don't have a big social event uh, afterwards and these new rules come into effect from tomorrow week Thursday the 5th of uh, August communions and confirmations continue to be banned under the new rules the government didn't give a date when further restrictions may be eased but it is uh, expected that the regulations are going to be reviewed in September uh, th- that's what's been reported in a lot of the papers today but I did see on a tweet during the news there at 12 that Michal Martin said they'll review everything again at the end of August so whether communions and confirmations we're assuming is going to be uh, a decision will be made around the end of August, beginning of September, because even though the doll they're in resource at the moment, the Cabinet Committee on COVID, that is due to meet throughout the month of August and they'll obviously review the evolving situation with the virus a week on week. The Finance Minister Pascal Donoghue said the christenings were being given a priority as he says there is an inevitability of baptisms taking place across the summer months and he said families are wanting to have their children baptised and they want to do it during the summer months but he, when he was asked about communions and confirmations he said they're unlikely to happen anyway on the, till the children go back to school in September so he didn't see any reason why they should be even looking at communities of confirmations wait until the children go back and I do know a number don't know about confirmations but I've certainly heard of a number of communions that schools already took the decision early this year 
to leave a go until September and they've got sort of tentative dates already booked for September but we'll wait and see what gets announced around the end of August at the start of September to firm up for sure that communions are going ahead but obviously everybody involved in the wedding industry thrilled with the news yesterday Hotels Federation very much welcomed it they say it was a huge relief to couples all around the country who are trying to finalise their guest uh, list the Hotels Federation said it's also their hope that there will be additional movement in due course in relation to the closing time because weddings remember have to be, everyone has to be last drinks at 11 everybody out at half uh, 11 they're also hoping that there'll be some movement pardon the pun on dancing and music at uh, weddings and that they're, they're hopeful that there will be further easing of restrictions come September but nothing yet has been decided. And actually, the wedding planner, Tara Fay, who spoke with us about the need to increase the numbers from 50 to 100, she said she was delighted, but she's looking for further clarity, particularly around whether wedding guests need to check whether they have vaccination certs or not. There was nothing mentioned on that. And she says bride and grooms need to find out that. They don't need to be told about it on the morning of their wedding. And I also saw that Noel Cunningham of uh, Harvey's Point in Donegal well-known hotelier, he has suggested that weddings should be adult-only affairs and he said that would address fears of having unvaccinated children in attendance and I don't know how many brides and grooms would be happy with that because many, many brides and grooms will have children as part of their bridal party, you know, flower girls, page boys uh, etc. But how would couples feel if they went, decided to go down that route that weddings for the foreseeable future that it would only be adults only and a complete ban on uh, children. Uh, as I say, just a suggestion from Noel Cunningham. 1850 Listener says, Patricia, what time is Paul and Finton's uh, rowing final on tonight Irish time please it is scheduled to get underway at 1.45 quarter to two in the morning and uh, we're wishing Paul and Finton the very best of luck and if they rode anything like they did last night they were on fire last night for the semi-final and they have the whole of Ireland but in particular Skibbereen and Cork behind them for sure best of luck to Paul and Finton but 1.45 uh, tonight now when I mentioned that funerals are allowed to go up from tomorrow week 100 people can attend funerals still a hold and 50 people can now will from that date be allowed to attend christings inside the church but still a hold on communions and uh, confirmations somebody said Patricia no mention of funerals why are funerals not being uh, mentioned it seems to be so unfair that there is an increase in the numbers that can attend weddings but there still isn't an increase in the number that can attend funerals and that's causing huge huge upset to so many people and Sean in Carrick Navarre said he feels it's about time that the Catholic Church challenged what he feels is an anti-Catholic government. He is not happy at all about the restrictions that have been in place around the church and church services. And a couple of people have been on with tips and suggestions for the listener who is trying to get a little dog what did, they, what did she actually say? Let me go back to that text. What was it? Looking for a little crossbred puppy. Cheap or free to a good home. She says she wants a little dog who'll sit in the car, sit in the sofa with her, but more importantly, encourage, take her out for walks and so encourage her to go out and get some exercise. She's cats and hens, so she needs a very young little dog that, so that she can teach the pup not to chase the cats and the hens. But she's not happy with any of the rescue dogs because she feels that they've got a dodgy history. I'm still querying that. And she said any pups that she's looked into huge, huge sums of money and she's wondering is it because everybody's getting their dogs neutered and she's wondering anybody else in a similar situation or if anybody could offer her advice 
and says Patricia regarding affordable pups I've had the very same problem as that listener that texted you earlier I can't get a rescue dog as I don't have a fence but our own dog is inside most of the time we'd love another dog but any of the rescue centres we go to say we must have a fence no one is selling dogs cheaply anymore Cezanne I feel it's a great big racket there's a lot of money being made out of the sale of dogs that is so true and Mary says hi Patricia there are plenty of rescue uh, dogs that are cat and chicken friendly. Often I would suggest to that listener that she may be to tell her to look at an older dog an older dog can be much better company than a very lively puppy and then you'd have to go through the whole hassle of having to train a lively puppy just a thought says Mary to maybe go back and look at the rescue dogs again and maybe don't be so particular about having a young pup to maybe look at some of the older dogs so that certainly is something worth considering Uh, thank you for that and thank you to the people who are sending in questions for Peter Dowdell our resident gardener keep those coming please 1850-333-103 or you can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103 The C103 Cork Diary With the new Explore Cork app A Cork County Council initiative The perfect way to plan your staycation in Cork Bowery National School, they're holding their monthly raffle draw tomorrow, Thursday, 8 o'clock, and it will be via Facebook Live. Uh, this month's first prize is €5,000. Second prize is a three-night stay with two evening meals. That's at the Hotel Europe in Killarney. And remember, the big raffle draw is for the four-bedroomed house in Killarney, and that takes place on New Year's Eve. Tickets are available from Bowery National School. And Kildallery Community Development are holding their weekly lotto draw. That's happening on tomorrow, Thursday, 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And that would be in the local community office. They've got a jackpot this week of 2,600. And shine a light. Suicide and Mental Health Awareness are presenting Make Some Noise Cork. That's happening on Friday, the 30th of July, streamed live from the Firkin Crane from 7pm to 8.15pm by Unity Media. Links are available on the Shine a Light Facebook page. If you're involved in any community activity that you would like us to advertise, please get the details into us. You can email info at c103.ie Bernie continues to take your calls at 1850-333-103 and breaking news this morning that Bantry Hospital has had a restriction on admissions since yesterday and it's due to the unavailability of one of the consultants just listening on our news bulletin uh, there at uh, 12 uh, we had the, the I heard the um, Deputy Christopher O'Sullivan wanting to assure reassure patients at Bantry Hospital that normal services will resume tomorrow but uh, local Dáil Deputy Independent for West Cork Michael Collins uh, joins me not happy uh, with this Uh, Good afternoon to you Michael Good afternoon uh, Patricia Michael a reassurance that normal services will resume tomorrow but you're feeling that's not good enough Absolutely not. Um, yesterday morning I was made aware that the Bantry General Hospital was basically closed to admissions uh, since Monday because they had a consultant uh, staffing crisis in Bantry General Hospital. This is a situation that has been going on for a number of years, uh, Patricia. I've often raised it um, on, on your radio show and other public forums. Uh, it was raised in public meetings uh, that this was a serious crisis at Bantry General Hospital and the eye has been uh, off the ball in 
accommodation at Bantry General Hospital, and we found this out this week. We have a situation where there should be five consultants in Bantry General Hospital. So many of those have retired in the last number of years and haven't been replaced. Then we had a situation where basically they were left with a, a skeleton consultant staff, uh, meaning that everybody would have to be in their full health for the hospital to stay open. And unfortunately, a situation has arose where one of those consultants has fallen ill, is unable to attend to his duties, and because of that, um, a decision was made for the safety of the management, the staff, uh, and the general public to, to close Bantry General Hospital uh, for admissions. This is an astonishing situation we find ourselves in uh, many years after making promises to the general public that we would never support a government that wouldn't uh, make sure that there was enough consultants in Bantry General Hospital. And we had serious and so many promises made by government after one after another promising this would never happen. And we find ourselves in a situation where admissions are closed Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday in, in, in Bantry General Hospital. And I certainly can't accept it. I can't accept it on behalf of the 86,000 plus people who live uh, in, in, in West Cork. And also, Patricia, it's endangering the lives of the tens and thousands of visitors, not alone the people well, who I'm live ju- here. I'm, ju- I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just thinking, if I'm living out on the Bear Peninsula, I hadn't even thought about it, if I'm visiting the Bear Peninsula and I, God forbid, or somebody listening has a medical emergency, where do they go? That is the question I've, I've asked the HSE to answer. Um, because as I said, I found this out yesterday. And rather than sending, I, I could have been on the radio station yesterday morning to you, Patricia, but I felt it was it, it was a dangerous news despite unless, uh, unless I had full my full facts before me. And that's why I, I've had my full facts before me. Because this was going to send shockwaves to as cock to see what has been going on. Um, but the b- bottom line is I've asked the HSE and I've asked the Department of Health and, and, and Paul Reid to answer me if somebody in the Bear Peninsula um, collapses today or is it falls in. Do they attend to Trilly General? Do they attend to CUH? The three, uh, talking about maybe a 160 kilometre drive uh, by ambulance or by, by car, uh, do they, uh, or, or maybe you're talking about a two and a half hour journey. But the there, there are here, also yeah. hospitals that are already under pressure themselves. I'm, I'm sure the good people at CUH and the good people at Tralee Hospital won't be pleased to hear that they'll have to take any emergencies that normally would be going to Bantry are suddenly going to go to them. Yes, and unfortunately that has, it's been the situation since Monday that this has been happening. And as I said, it was, uh, the, the situation was rushed to me yesterday, so I, I immediately pressed alarm bells, but I wanted to find out what, what is the real fact. The problem here is there's been a lack, a complete lack of urgency to fill in these positions. And Bantry General Hospital... I, is, is a nascent hospital, and I, I know better can see that because I'm living close to it, and I can see and speak to people of the the the, the absolute joy people have had and attending there, and the staff and, and management there have been excellent. But the bottom line is the consultant positions have been neglected and continuously neglected, and an attractive package has to be put in place. And we're saying this for years. Okay, is to, to okay. Let, let, let's let's look into that. What is the problem? Is is it simply that nobody wants to work at Bantry Hospital? Because there is not a proper attractive package. There's probably a set pay for um, uh, a consultant to be taken on in, the, in CUH and in all the general hospitals throughout the country. But if you come in and if you want to attract someone to come to work and live in Bantry, you have to put a package before them. And that has to, the whole policy has to change around this. And unfortunately, Patricia, this hasn't happened. And we continue to be in positions that we're either getting uh, part-time or we're getting people that might be interested but are not fully interested because they see what pay they're getting. And they certainly can get the, the equal pay in another hospital close by them with very, very good conditions. Bantry Hospital and Bantry area has a huge amount to offer, but it needs to attract people and there needs to be a, a proper attraction. So you're, you're saying pay, pay them more than what they say would be offered to work in CUH? 
we have to to attract somebody to, to come and live here and we've done that like we've seen back home, why, you know, why, why do people not want to come and work and live in Bantry well it's it's a rural it's a rural community and I, I presume in fairness you might have somebody in, in, in Limerick or somewhere up the country that might say look I have to uplift my whole family and move down to a rural community buy a house you know there's a there's a huge amount um, uh, to, to I suppose change somebody's lifestyle and an attractive package will do that because there's a beautiful place, they'd find no better place in the world, but there has to be some kind of a better package than the usual uh, package that's been put in place. And this hasn't happened. And we're left in a situation where we've gone from five consultants to four, three, two, due to genuine retirement, and they haven't been replaced. And then we're but, have, in but have the jobs been advertised? I mean, have they been actively it, trying to get consultants They to have come? been actively trying uh, to fill the positions. And unfortunately, as I said, the attractive package hasn't been put before. Uh, those who have made applications on the job. I think this situation might alleviate itself sometime in September, but that's, you know, that there, there might be some consultants coming in from abroad, but that's an awful situation to find ourselves in, that in August, in in, in the July and, and the month of August, we find ourselves that there's no admission to our main hospital. And Patricia, this is not just, you know, this issue. You know, you have the uh, endoscopy and the, the rehabilitation units. In, in 2018, there was an announcement that they would be built. Till this day, nothing, not a brick or not a sod has been turned. So it's a continuous erosion of Bantry General Hospital to the people of, of, of the West Cork area, and it's not acceptable. And what astonishes me more is in the last week, we've had a junior minister for Health and Rabbit and a senior minister um, uh, for Rural Affairs, Head of Humphreys, down in West Cork, and none of them, none of them were asked to visit Bantry General Hospital to, to highlight the situations, that we, the difficulties we have, to try and put it on a footing that it becomes an urgent situation, that we don't find ourselves without consultants. And the only solution that I can find, and I presume that's the only solution that's going to happen, uh, that these services can resume to some kind of normality tomorrow, is that those consultants will be sent from CUH down to Bantry General Hospital. Well, well according to Deputy Christopher O'Sullivan, normal services will resume tomorrow. As soon as you contacted us this morning, we did get onto the HSC. They've, Bernie tells me they've put us onto a PR company uh, and we're still awaiting... Uh, a response from them to find out what is happening. I mean, what normal services will resume tomorrow. What does that mean? That's a locum, is it? My, my assumption is that, uh, that uh, doctors and ambulance, uh, ambulance doctors who refer patients and uh, the ambulance service will be allowed to bring admissions to, to Bantry General Hospital. I have to find out. But that, that's, that statement is absolute ridiculous. In a situation that we find ourselves four days without uh, our Bantry, our main hospital that serves 86,000 people plus the tens of thousands of visitors that we have at the moment is, is, is now closed for business. It's astonishing. And, and we're in the middle of staycations. We're probably, West Cork has probably never need, been busier. We need answers, um, uh, Patricia, for okay. this question, because well, this cannot be allowed to continue the way it's been continued for the last number of years. And we made promises to the public out there. I certainly did, that I wouldn't support any government that wouldn't support Bantry General Hospital. And I feel vindicated today, but I'm sadly being vindicated. I don't, as I said, I could have brought this news to you yesterday morning, but I felt it was only right uh, to, to investigate properly to find out the real facts. Have you spoken to send anybody at the hospital as to how they've... I've spoken to management uh, at how, the hospital to How are they sure feeling? They, I, I, I think they're, they're in the same situation as we are. They're exasperated uh, by... by and, and, and the same as myself, the slowness of this whole uh, situation going on for a number of years. And, and I mean, to me, from listening to what I've been hearing, this has been... This crisis could have happened six months ago, 12 months. It's all totally dependent on everybody keeping their health. And, and and if one person falls ill, 
the hospital is in a crisis situation. And, that and no, we have no to pay tribute. Should have, have to rely to, on we that. We have to pay. We have to pay tribute to the management, the staff at that hospital, for what they've done during COVID, what they've done during the last number of years. But this was a shocking situation they find themselves in, and they certainly wouldn't do it without being uh, in a crisis situation. And that's where they found themselves Monday morning. Okay, uh, somebody says, Patricia, just went to, on Bantry Hospital, a person I know sustained a nasty injury, um, went to Bantry Hospital to, to be told to go to uh, South uh, Dock. They weren't able to see the uh, patient there. Then went to South Dock, only to be told they had to go to CUH. That meant they had to drive from the Demanway area to Bantry back to CUH. How crazy is that in this day and age? It's an absolute uh, disgrace. Okay. All right. Listen, as I say, we are awaiting uh, to see if we get anything back from the HSC. And uh, in the meantime, if you find out anything more, uh, if you can let us know, uh, Michael. Thank you. Thank you for that. And thank you for that. And uh, thanks for joining us. That is Independent West Cork Dáil Deputy uh, Michael uh, Collins. 1850 uh, 103 We continue to take your gardening questions please some of your calls uh, coming in to us uh, John is in Castletown Roach is going to England next Monday he doesn't have his Covid cert yet what can he do you need to check I don't know if because the, the UK are not in the EU so I don't know if they're using the EU Covid certificate so I imagine your card that you got from the HSE would probably be okay but you need to check no matter what country you're going to that's something that we did yesterday as well every country has different rules and regulations but the England is as we know because the Brexit is not in the EU so I don't think you're going to have to have your EU digital COVID certificate uh, for that Lawrence is in Clan fully qualified hasn't got his cert yet you're not on your own Lawrence there are many people uh, waiting but we keep saying to people to check your email folders to make sure that it hasn't gone into your spam uh, folder uh, would it be possible, said Eileen, when you're talking about young people getting the vaccine, would it be possible for the young people to get the single dose vaccine? That way they'd all be vaccinated by the time they go into school. No, it wouldn't because the single dose vaccine is the Janssen and the only one that NIAC recommended for the 12 to 15 year olds is either Pfizer or Moderna. And that's a two shot. So no, that that wouldn't be uh, wouldn't be possible. And then Mary in the city was on to us and I don't know if Mary's on her own in this one or not. She's fully vaccinated but she's got family members who are anti-vaxxers and for whatever reason have decided not to get the vaccine. She's wondering now is she more at risk now as a result of the people in her household who are not uh, vaccinated because we are hearing of breakthrough uh, vaccines. Well, the only thing that you can take comfort from Mary is that you are vaccinated You and if God forbid you were to pick up uh, covid certainly what's coming through from all of the evidence and the statistics uh, so far uh, that people fully vaccinated you're protected against getting very unwell protected against ending up in the hospital are protected against uh, dying all you can do is I suppose is try to talk to your family members and make sure that they don't come anywhere near you if they have any uh, symptoms but I don't think you're alone I think I also think within families with children now the 12 to 15 year olds being offered a vaccine they can only get the vaccine with parental consent. That's going to cause discussions and, ar- and arguments, dare I say, in some households where you'll have a mother and a father disagreeing. One person will want their child to get the vaccine and others won't. So it's, it's, not, it's not going to be the easiest thing. Uh, I think with vaccine hesitancy on some par- parts, it's certainly going to pass on to children as well. Thank you for your call to 1850 Keep your gardening questions coming. Peter Dowdle joining us in a couple of minutes. And uh, quite a reaction to the news that Bantry Hospital has uh, been on a 
available to admissions. They've been restricted since uh, Monday and it's due to the unavailability of one of the consultants. Peggy McCroom says, I would much rather go to Bantry Hospital than any of the city hospitals. The nurses and staff at Bantry Hospital are all so lovely. The smaller hospitals have time to talk to you and that's not in any way taken from the larger hospitals but they're just so uh, busy. Peggy McCroom way prefers to go to Bantry Hospital. Heidi says, oh no Patricia, this really has to stop. Bantry is a good hospital. I know that from personal experience. Well done to Deputy Michael Collins once again putting us in the picture of how the HSE is treating us here in West Cork. Not happy about this situation at all. And John says, Patricia, some years ago theatre facilities in Bantry were upgraded and we were all told that this was a real good news story. There'd be many more operations, many more procedures would be performed, performed, I feel, though the opposite has happened whereby very little surgery is now happening at Bantry Hospital. There now seems to be a constant flow of ambulances out of Bantry Hospital heading up to uh, CUH uh, and more and more people very upset about the news that admissions um, are off though uh, we've been told by Deputy Christopher O'Sullivan that normal services will resume tomorrow so fingers crossed that that is going to happen 1850 333 lines are open C103 Smart Speaker Giveaway with Dundeal for all of Ireland's trusted car dealerships Okay, going to the phone lines were Mary Kylie in Springville in Kilbarry Cottages and Dublin Hill in Cork uh, joins me. Afternoon to you, Mary. Hello, Patricia. How are you today? I'm fine, thanks. How you, are you? I'm, I'm very well. You're looking for one of our smart speakers? I would be delighted with one. What is our winning phase, please? AC103. It is indeed. Congratulations to you. You have won yourself a smart speaker. Thank you very much, Patricia. Okay, enjoy your day. All Thanks right, a million. Bye bye, bye bye. The C one hundred three smart speaker giveaway with a done deal for all of Ireland's trusted car dealerships. More of those smart speakers uh, to give away this afternoon, and we have another day of it tomorrow. Remember, this is the final week for the C one hundred three smart speaker giveaway. Gardening on C one hundred three with Bandon Co op Garden Centres in Bandon, Kinsale, and Enniskeen for top quality plants advice and value. Think Bandon Co op Garden Centres. C103. And delighted to report Peter Dowdell back from his holidays joining me uh, this afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Peter. Good afternoon, Trish. How are you? I'm very well. And boy, did you pick the right week to be away on your holidays? (laughs) Didn't I tell you we were going to have a lovely summer all those weeks ago? Oh, my goodness. It was absolutely glorious. I'm assuming you staycationed. I staycationed up in Waterford, up by Gorgeous Dunmore East. So um, it, it was really, though, I must say. And uh, we're, we're actually up to centre parks with the kids now, Sue. So hopefully we'll get a, equally as good few days up oh, there. Well done, well done. OK, let's get straight into questions because people have missed you over the last two weeks. Even though every week I was saying you weren't with us, we were still getting inundated uh, with questions. Let me get straight into uh, questions. This is from Liz in Riverstick. Hi, Peter. Is it OK to put miracle Grow? plant food on grass I'm hoping it will green it up will it work do you know what it probably will because miracle Grow. it's not one that I use particularly but it's a, it's a high nitrogen one it should kind of give it a sharp shock of growth alright it should green it up uh, it would, I wouldn't necessarily recommend it as a kind of long term plant food for the lawn but I'd say if you, if you just want to kind of a quick short sharp shock I'd say it should yeah no problem 
And Mike in Mornabi is wondering about mulching around newly planted small trees. Is it worth it? How expensive is it to buy the mulch? He's also wondering, can you start a pl- to plant? He also wants to plant a potted two to three foot tree now. Or is it better planted now? Is it better to wait until the dormant season? I'd say in answer to the potting, the planting of the tree, I would wait until the excuse me, October on for several reasons. Number one, uh, and I suppose most importantly, is nature takes care of the water during the winter. So it gives the tree a chance to get established in, in the ground during the autumn and winter before it starts coming out in the spring. And as I say, you don't have to be, I'm not going to say you can ignore watering because, you know, often September and October can be quite dry, but certainly it's of an issue than it would be at this time of the year. Um, and the first part of the question again, Trish, sorry, on, was... On mulching around newly planted small yes, trees. Yes, mulching, yeah. Is it worth it? Absolutely, absolutely worth it. Without question, it's worth it. So the, the benefits of mulching uh, are several. So in the first instance, of course, you're, you're preventing weed growth. So if the soil is clear or clean, in other words, if there aren't existing perennial weeds in it, if you have clean soil and you put you cut off light and oxygen to that soil, then nothing can germinate. So if you put down just half an inch or so of mulch, you've, you've wasted your time, maybe your money. But if you put down three or four inches of mulch, well, then you'll have no weeds germinating. Now, as I say, and I must stress, if there are perennial weed roots there, they like nettles or brambles or anything, they can come up through console. They'll certainly come up. But if, if the soil is clean, it will keep it clean. Is the first thing. Second thing is a, a three or four inch mulch of any organic matter as a as a as a mulch will um will help to in water. It'll reduce the amount of water lost from evaporation in the soil, and also it has the benefit of um protecting uh, the roots during the, the winter from from severe frost just that three or four inches of an extra physical barrier with roots so it's absolutely worth doing in terms of cost it depends what you're going to use i mean any clean organic matter organic material can be used as a mulch as a word as opposed to a product if you know what i mean so you can with anything you can mulch with compost you can mulch with wood chip you can mulch with bark so it, in answer to the question it could be free if you can get your yourself the right product uh but but don't don't you it may have weeds or weed roots in it would be the only thing i would oh, say okay uh mary has a question for you as an experiment mary says i set sat a slip in a ch- of, of a chinese lantern straight into the ground and now i've got this lovely shrub i want to move it to a permanent position when would be the right time to do it please thanking you in advance now she's somebody you love people to just give it a go and see what happens and it's I absolutely I absolutely do. Uh, sure, all you're doing is is really, without sounding too much like a hippie, is is you're plugging into the energy of the soil. You're plugging into the, it's like plugging a plug into the three pin socket at home. You're you're connecting to the energy, uh, like nature does all the work. So, congrats and pat yourself on the back first of all for having the green fingers. Uh, and when to move it, you move it again when that plant is completely dormant. So every bit of that root system, the new root system, uh, is working hard right now to get water out of the soil and to keep that plant alive. So if you try taking that out of the soil now, you'll most likely kill it and all your good work will be undone. So wait till that plant is fast asleep, Trish, during the winter months and the root system isn't work, uh, working that hard. Then you take it out of the ground. So any root damage that's done during the move has a chance to repair itself during the winter again before it starts coming into growth in the spring. So I would say sometime between kind of end of October and end of February would be the time to do that. During Cantorchy's basil plants are being swamped by the tomatoes. Can he pull them up and transplant them to a bigger area or will they die if he tries to move them? Uh, It's a good question and it's a difficult one to answer because 
the, I would say the chances are it, they will die, yes. Um, they're an annual plant, temperamental. So the, I suppose if they are being swamped by the tomato plant, you could do one of two things. You could either give it a go, so you buy moving them and see what happens. But you do, I'm afraid, you very definitely do risk losing them for the reasons I just stated a minute ago about the roots, every bit of it being essential at the moment, getting water. Um, so they may well die if you move it. So I would make that if you remove some of the foliage of the tomato plants, they won't miss it. Don't worry. You'll be allowing. You'll actually be helping the tomato because you'll be allowing more air to circulate through the plant, which will help prevent fungal infections in the tomato. So if you could remove a lot of the foliage, that may, like the way he describes it, is they're being swamped by the tomatoes. Maybe it's the tomato leaves that are doing it. I imagine it is. Mm -hmm. So if you remove foliage from the tomatoes, that'll allow a lot more space for the basil. That's what I'd be more inclined to do and see if it works. Any advice from Mary and Mallow on cutting back a Logan berry? Yes. Um, so Logan berries, you treat them a bit like you would raspberries. In other words, during the kind of the end after their season, so like let's say even as late as October, you, you could do it a bit earlier, but let's say leave it to October, you remove the, the branches. First of all, you get yourself a pair of strong gloves, right? They are the thorniest plant. Now, there are thornless varieties available, but uh, depending on, if, if it's thorny anyway, you're going to need gloves. Uh, look for the, the shoots that, that gave you fruit this year, and they're the ones that are quite brown and those stems would be quite woody and brown and prune them back. And the green, more pliant ones are the ones you want to concentrate on for year. Uh, it's a kind of, it's a bit like a bramble in its growth habit, Trish, like like the, the you know the wild blackberry. So you, you you would kind of treat it as a myrrh. In other words, I would try and try and try and trail it up against the wall with a bit of trellis or a bit of wire. So those good green shoots that I'm saying you want to hold on to next year, try and encourage them or, or tie them on to wire or trellis on the wall. Good south-facing wall, ideally, where the, the, the sun, heat of the sun will, will help them to ripen and the, the wall will retain that heat for during the evening. Um, so tie those stems and then cut back the shoots to within a few inches of those stems uh, and you should get a good crop again next year. Okay, and a listener, first time growing tomatoes, how often should you be feeding the tomatoes? They're tiny at the moment, she says. Most important thing actually with there is watering at the moment. So uh, I, I can predict a few questions we get later in the season, Trish, and it'll be people with tomatoes with the, the skin splitting and things of like that, and, and apple same. And that tends to be a, a result of what we call erratic watering. So what that means is it's kind of as it sounds. It's, it might get flooded one day and then left alone for a week and then flooded again. So that's, that's causing the, the fruit to swell up and then contract and swell up and contract, and that leads to the, the, the skin splitting. It's much better to give it little and often, so give it regular watering. Uh, but then there is a fine line, of course. You don't want it to be too wet because it could lead to blight. Uh, so regular watering is more important I would say at the moment but in terms of feeding it uh, and do use a good organic tomato food something like the nature safe tomato food the Irish one because that is organic because at the end of the day you're going to be eating it hopefully um, and I would say I would say once every 10 days should be enough really for the feeding but water more regularly Okay, a listener who sent this in when you were off, so back in with the question again, which I told people to do, so well done. A listener planted two trees last October or November. One is a Prunus circansen, which, which all of his leaves are fine at the moment. The other is a Prunus a weeping sherry, which is not doing well, no leaves at all. What would Peter advise? Could the dry weather have affected it? 
funny, just as, as you say they sent in the question last week, it reminded me to tell you that it seems like everybody in Munster listens to you, Trish. Even up in Waterford, I was being told. I knew you were in holidays because I was listening to oh, Trish. Apologies. Not at all. Um, but anyway... Um, so yes, so the 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 Prunus Kanzan is better known to you and I, Trish, as that beautiful pink flowering cherry blossom, just a oh, straightforward gorgeous. pink cherry yeah. blossom. And the other one is the weeping cherry. Okay, uh, so he said the Kanzan is doing okay, plenty of leaf, and the weeping one is struggling. So if it's not not in leaf now, or if there's no leaf at all on it, then yes, it. it I'm afraid it's bad news. It does sound like it's it's dead. He it did say at the start of the question if you have it there still as to when they planted La- it. Last October, November, newly yeah. planted. The lack. Yeah, the lack of water certainly would be an issue. Now, we had plenty of water during the spring. Nature was in care of it. But since then, it's been obviously particularly dry over the winter. So that would definitely have had an effect on it, I'm afraid. If it, all now is pour water on it and hope for the best. Let's say whether it's going to come good or not. OK, and hi, Peter. I planted carrots last year and they came this year. Grand big carrots. But my problem is there was a rat in the garden earlier this year, would they still be safe to eat as the carrots were under the ground? We've lost. Just, I get the heebie-jeebies when I even hear the word, let alone think of them. Okay, you're, you're breaking up slightly on me now. They, would, they said, yeah, you, you, they will be safe to eat, but you'll, you'll have to take the, the, the normal kind of safety measures, give them a good wash and peel them. But apart from that, they'll be fine, yeah. OK, question for Peter. When should you cut back a red robin? Uh, leave it now until September, Trish. Uh, cut it back in September. And it's probably the best time to do it because you get the best value of the pruning, if you know what I mean. The growth is beginning to slow down then. Uh, so September or else end of February would be the time I'd do it. Okay, and a listener wants to know what would cause what she describes as pinholes around the bloom of the hydrangea where the bloom should be coming out. The holes are too small for slugs or snails. Thanking you. Pinholes. It's a good question. I don't know. I don't know. If you could send me a picture, I'll have a look at it. But off the top of my head, I can't answer it. I don't know, Trish. I'm sorry. But but send me a picture if you can. Okay, I'll let you go because you're just about breaking up. I think we did reasonably well uh, with the connection today. Listen, enjoy the rest of your holiday and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Trish. Thanks a million. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That is uh, Peter Dowdle, uh, our resident uh, gardener at peterdowdle.com. 1850-333-103. Apologies if we didn't get around to your gardening question uh, today, but there was a huge amount of questions in, uh, more than we normally get. Uh, Peter back with us though next week and hopefully we'll get to all of your questions uh, next week. And we were talking about rescue dogs. A Moy listener says, we live near a family whose dogs should be rescued. Two dogs, they're left alone day and night constantly barking never walked and they're now very aggressive dogs it's totally wrong that people can treat dogs like that those dogs should be taken away from them says a Formoy listener okay that's where we wrap it up for today my thanks to Bernie Murphy uh, who produced and we're back with you tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock for Thursday's edition of Cork Today onto the Lampetricia Messenger take care Normally being a little extra can be a bit much but when it comes to healthcare it pays to be extra 
And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.